0: Praise God. That's what the church family is all about, isn't it? Amen. When we all, when we have a need, we, we reach out. That's what that's what family is, isn't it? Family is when when there's a need, we we respond. And uh, in fact, Paul the apostle said that the really the heart of the gospel is to love one another. And as we begin to serve one another, we really express the love of Christ. And that's that's really what, what the gospel is all about. It's when we really begin to not just love the Lord uh, on a vertical way, but even on a horizontal when we begin to reach out and be a blessing that way. Uh, boy, I tell you, I was looking for Kite Day today, you know. I was going to bring our... Kites and go out with the grandkids, but uh, we're going to just wait on that. And uh, also, I wanted to uh, encourage you uh, this Wednesday night, I'm, I'm going to be starting a series on the parables of Jesus. The parables. There's actually 43 parables in the gospel, uh, but we're going to be looking at these parables, powerful parables. And uh, in fact, you'll find that the parables were written to two groups of people. And Matthew 13 is the foundational chapter that opens all of the parables up. But Jesus talks about he, the parables were written for those who are within and those who are without. Very important. We're going to be looking at what he meant by a parable, and we're going to be looking at these very important principles and what Jesus used and why he used them and how it helps us to understand kingdom life. So I really pray on Wednesday nights, if you've never been taught uh, on these subjects and and look at them, uh, it's really vital for the life of a believer and uh, it's really for the purpose of equipping you. Amen. How many of you believe God wants our lives to be anchored in the solid rock? You know, uh, I believe that in order for us to be stable and strong, we need to be anchored in Christ. We need to be anchored, not just in the knowledge of the Word, but we need to be anchored in our relationship and who He is and who we are in Him. And it's through that that there, we, we begin to build on a foundation that's stable. And we begin to see healthy fruit in our life. There, there is so much uncertainty. In the lives of people today, in families, in our nation, there's just so much uncertainty and so much instability. And God wants to bring stability, and He wants to bring a sense of understanding and give us wisdom and understanding the signs of the times in which we live. In fact, that's what makes you salt and light in the world. Is when your life is growing and you're flourishing when the world is falling apart. You're thriving and growing and increasing. And that's that's what the life of a believer is because our source is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I really pray you come out on that. Let, let's open up with a word of prayer and we're going to go right into the word. Uh, I'm on a series entitled Family Power. Let's all say that together, shall we? Family Power. God's interested in strengthening families. And uh, it's been said that the core... The backbone of any nation is the family. As the family goes, so goes the nation. And our relationships to one another, because our relationships also help us to understand spiritual things as well. But we're going to pray this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the, not just the knowledge of the Word, but we thank you, Lord. That you're helping us to grow. You're bringing increase in every area of your life. You're opening the understanding of the true riches, Lord, of the kingdom in our hearts. You're helping us, Lord, to be fruitful. You're bringing out the best to fulfill our potential. I pray this morning, Lord, that even those that are not here, I pray you'll keep your hand upon those that cannot be here with us this morning. Maybe they're sick or wherever they are. Just keep your hand upon them. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask you to have your way in our lives and through the word this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. I went by the field of a lazy man, and by the vineyard of a man void, or devoid of understanding and there it was all overgrown with thorns its surface was covered with nettles by the way uh, thorns and nettles speaks of a poison poisonous acidity plant and it speaks of this invasion of, of these plants that were growing up over this field and it says verse 32. Or verse 31, and the stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. This is Solomon speaking. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, and a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, what I'm sharing with you this morning on this family power series is learning how to empower the kingdom of God environment or a kingdom of God atmosphere in our homes. How many of you believe God wants the atmosphere and the environment in our family to be healthy? And uh, he wants our environment to be conducive for growth. And it's really important as individuals, as men, women, whether you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, it's only a wise man, any individual, any person with any intelligence would take the time to evaluate and ask this question, what is the environment like in my marriage? What's it like in my home? Is there peace in my house? Are my children growing and flourishing? And we looked at Psalms 128 last week, and the Bible talks about an atmosphere in the home of a man who fears the Lord. Three things it says about a man who fears the Lord. The first thing, it says that that man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, it says that prosperity will rest upon that man's home And his life will be blessed. Anybody in for prosperity and blessing? Because he fears the Lord. The second thing, it talks about the relationship of that man. It says, happy will his wife be. His wife will be fruitful and she's going to experience a sense of fulfillment because of a man who fears the Lord. Now, remember, the fear of the Lord does not mean that a man who's walking around in fear of God and he's afraid. No, a man who fears the Lord is a man, the Bible really, in a a very simplistic way, it just simply means the man honors God. It means that his priorities in life center around kingdom life. In other words, Jesus is first in his life. That's That's what it means to fear the Lord. It means that the priority of his decisions revolve and center around that which pleases the Lord. How many of you believe living as a Christian to please Him is important? Now, I know that we can fall into a worksman uh, 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 deal here. But that's, that's not where I'm coming from. I know that when we talk about a subject like this, it's easy to start thinking about, well, I know I'm not doing that well, and I know I'm kind of falling in those areas, and I'm slipping in these other areas. But here, what I really want to focus on this morning is our relationship to the Holy Spirit and our relationship to what Jesus has provided for us through the cross. Because how many of you know that what Jesus did for us at the cross raised us and seated us together with Christ in heavenly places? That means He has not just forgiven you, He's not only washed you, but He's placed you in a place of approval in a place where you are approved. In a place where you have dominion. In a place where you are more than a conqueror this morning. So I am no longer living a Christian trying to be holy. I'm not trying to get better. I'm already there. In Christ. Now you may say, well Pastor Ray, wait wait a minute. Are you, are you saying that you, you've arrived? Well, I, I have and you have arrived as far as His righteousness is concerned. We have arrived as far as His holiness is concerned. My holiness is not based on my performance. My holiness is based, and my right standing, is based on the completed work at what Jesus did in the atonement. I am righteous, I am holy, I am blessed because of what He has done for me. Now, I am in a process, in Hebrews 10, it's called sanctification, and it's where my mind is being renewed, and as I am working, and as I'm living and working what the Bible refers to as good works, as I'm growing in obedience to the will of God, it's through my obedience to God that the discipline of what He has already raised me up to be is He's training me for eternity. He's training me right now for glory. And so that's that's where we're at here. We're we're growing in the likeness of Christ. We are renewed. But He has cleansed us. He's washed us. He's made us in the likeness of His glory to the praise of His glory right now. And so I need to constantly reaffirm that I am a mighty man of God, even though at times I may fail and I might even fall short. I need to come boldly to the throne of grace. When? In the time of need to obtain mercy. Because Jesus has washed and all my sins, past, present, and future have been taken care of. But it's my ways that he's changing. God wants my ways to line up With his ways. Can you say amen? He's dealt with my sins, but now he's into changing my ways. The Bible says that if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, heal their land, restore them, bless them. That's what God's interested in. He's interested in helping us grow. But here in this passage, we have an environment... Of a man, the Bible says, who is lazy. And he's a man devoid of understanding. And because of that, lacking knowledge and lazy. Maybe he's not just lazy because he's sleeping and all that. But maybe he's not diligent in understanding that in his house, there is a responsibility for me to evaluate And to take careful observation and evaluate where I'm at. How many of you know that your relationship, your marriage, your family is like tending a garden? You know, if if you don't talk to your spouse very long, if you don't remind them. Let me tell you something that happened in my marriage in the beginning. When my wife and I were first, I was not used to communicating to my wife that I loved her. And I remember there'd be several weeks that go by and Carol would just I just noticed Carol was uh, she was she was she's always been stable but, but I just noticed that Carol would ask me a question like Ray, do you do you love me? And I'd say, Of course I love you. You know I love you. Well I, I know, but I, I need you to tell me once in a while. I need you to water this little plant. I need you to water this garden here. And uh I I just had this idea that when I marched down the island, I said, I do. I, I'm not kidding you. I, I was kind of void. I lacked a lot of common sense. I just thought that Carol knew I'd love her for life. Well, how many of you know that if you just water a plant once and walk away and forget it, you know it's going to die in the sunlight and the heat. Well, we, have to, we have to water the garden. And notice here, the Bible says, because of neglect, because of lack of understanding, it became overgrown with thorns. The word thorns there means pain. It means there's a lot of things that are growing up that are creating pain. It was covered with nettles. In other words, what this is saying is that the enemy has come in. When the enemy came in, and notice what else it says about the symptom. The walls are broken down. Walls speak of defense. Walls also in the Bible speaks of the lack of discernment. No one is making any judgment calls. No one is discerning. No one is checking things at the door. Parents, husbands, just an announcement. As a pastor, as a father, it is important for you and me to know where our relationships are. I need to know where my kids are. It's important when I was... Uh, raising our sons, Jared, David, and Aaron, in our house, there were times where we would sit down and I would ask our boys, I'd say, guys, not just how are you doing, but I would ask them, how are you doing in your walk, in your faith, in your belief system with Jesus? Do you believe in God? And the other thing, it's so important that when we are developing a uh, of an environment amen, of life in our homes. How many of you believe that we need to know how to listen, amen? We need to learn how to listen to each other, amen? And we need to learn how to grow in uh, empowering our young people with faith. We need to allow them a freedom, amen, even to say things that may not necessarily be right. Now, I'm not not suggesting that... uh, Uh, Being right is not important. Yeah, We need need to pursue righteousness and we need to pursue truth. But we need to allow people the freedom, amen, to share what's in their heart so we can address them and let them know and empower them with truth. First grace, then truth. Amen. The Bible says that when Jesus came... When the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, it says that we beheld Him in John 1. Uh, uh, we beheld the glory of the Lord, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, then truth. And here in this passage, we find that the walls are broken down. Neglect. is cre- uh, Because of neglect, things begin to sprout up. I remember, uh, again, back in my own marriage with my wife and I, because of my lack of understanding as far as my responsibility as a father and a, as a husband. And here's the reason. I, I did not have the input from my own dad. And even though I was raised in a Christian home, I lacked some areas. And I'm going to give you three things that are important right right off the bat. Three things that are important in order for you to empower, to empower a kingdom of God environment. Number one, it's this, leadership. We need leadership in the home. Number two, the source for life. I need to know what my source is. How many of you believe that if you don't have a right source, you're not going to produce healthy fruit? I need to know what the source, in other words, where do I go to? What am I drawing from? What am I feeding my faith with? Some people go to the friends. Some people go to their beer partners. Some people go to Dr. Spock. Some people go to pop psychology. But whatever your source is will determine the fruit. If you don't like the fruit in your tree, you need to ask yourself, where and what is the source of the seed that I'm sowing? We found last week that Galatians 6... For what a man sows, he's going to reap. If he sows to the flesh, he's going to reap death. He's going to reap thorns, nettles, and broken walls. But if he sows to the Spirit, he's going to reap eternal life. So, first of all, we need leadership. We're going to talk about that a little later on in a couple of weeks. Leadership. What it means to lead. How to lead by example. How to lead in a loving way. How to lead a man without necessarily just being a dictator, but being a servant leader, leading by example, leading with a spirit of love and grace in your life. And the third thing that's so important in order for us to empower a kingdom of God environment is we need to understand the power and the connection of our words. Everyone say words. How many of you know that life and death is in the tongue? Blessing and cursing. These three things, leadership, Our source and our words determine our environment. I need to ask myself, what am I drawing from? I want you to jump over with me into Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I want you to see something that was really powerful. We know that in Jesus' day, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, very familiar passage. I want you to see something here. Uh, Jesus Jesus carried an environment. Wherever He went, He changed the environment. And by the way, this may be an announcement to some of us here this morning, but God has called you to change the environment. He's called you to help impart and emit something so powerful to other people that you transform the lives of people. That's why Jesus in Matthew 5 said, You... Not just him, but he said, You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And he says, No man having a light hides it under a bushel. In other words, you're not ashamed. A man who has light doesn't hide the light. In other words, he's, you know, I'm not suggesting that you're necessarily going around and being a walking billboard and uh, cramming Jesus down people's ears. But I am suggesting that wherever you're living and walking, people notice something about you. They notice joy in spite of circumstances. They notice hope that is emitting off of your life. They notice wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, but they notice that you walk in a wisdom that is not natural. There's a supernatural wisdom There's there's a common sense wisdom from the Lord that you're walking in. There's a faith that you have. You're emitting faith wherever you go. You just seem to empower. You seem to encourage. You're an individual. That light that you're emitting, you are lifting people up. When everyone else is tearing others down, you lift them up. You are empowering vision in people. You help people. You see... All of us today are drawn to people who help empower us to be what God has created us to be. Do you know why? Because all of you are created in the image of Christ. I forgot to tell you last Sunday, I was on a story about this woman who came into our office and they they didn't know the Lord. She brought her husband. I forgot to end that story. And uh, as I was sharing that, I wanted to say that this morning that she began to ask me, well, then what is my purpose? Uh, because they didn't know the Lord. And, and I, said, I said, your highest purpose in life is to reflect and live for God's glory. God has called you and he's created you in his image. And because you are created in his image, you're never going to be satisfied with living a life that is below the standard He created you for. You were created for excellence. You were created for beauty. You were created to have the presence of God bring the very best. And when we do not live in the excellence of that beauty and the glory that He created you in, and when you succumb to selling out for what is cheap like sin... You sell out and accept sin or you sell out and you embrace a behavior that doesn't coincide with the beauty that he's called you to. What happens is you inherit lots and lots of pain. And when there's lots and lots of pain and things aren't going well and communication breaks down, you begin to fall into despair in the one thing that America is known for today. I love this nation, but in America, we do have a problem. We have a tendency to run. We run from marriage to marriage. We run from church. We run from our jobs. We run from responsibility. We run. We know how to escape. We do not know how to capitalize and learn from our failures and recognize that God never judges us or rejects us for failure, but rather he empowers us with grace Because of the failure, it helps us to rise up and to move into greater levels of responsibility and increase. God never intended for you to fail. In fact, you cannot fail when you are in Christ. You can't fail. Now, we think we're failures and we've been told we're failures... And we've lived in a legalistic culture that has modified the way we think because if we do well, we perform well, then we're accepted and rewarded. That's the way our society is. You get good grades, I'll give you 10 bucks. If you pass, then you will be promoted. If you do well here, then this will happen. I understand the, the aspect of work and reward and we need that. But when we begin to reduce our sense of identity down to work and reward, we miss it. Because my identity is not based on work and reward. My identity is based upon the fact that I have been born again. How many of you could say this morning that you did not have anything to do with where you were born? You had nothing to do with the fact that you were made a man or a woman. Whether you have brown hair. Blue, you—you you had nothing to do with how you were born. You were born into a family. You were born with a DNA. Do you know that when a man, or woman is born again, you are born with a spiritual DNA that begins to put new desires, a new way of thinking in you? And do you know what? The Bible even goes so far. In First John chapter two says that a man who is born again cannot sin. Now what that means is, you will never be comfortable with sinning. I'll never forget years ago, a guy came into my office, he gave his heart to Jesus, and about six months later, he comes in, throws his Bible on my desk in my office. The pastor, I give up, I'm done serving Jesus. I said, I'm so miserable. Ever since I became a Christian, I said, well, you should be miserable. He says, yeah, I'm just having a hard time. I just keep slipping back in sin. And I keep falling, and I just, I, I must not be saved. I said, no, partner, that's the reason why I know you are saved. Why? Why do you say that? Because you're so miserable. Wait wait, wait a minute. Time out. You, say, you mean you know that I'm saved because I'm so miserable? I said, yes. The fact that you're miserable is a sign that you're saved. How could that be right? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and he will not let you have a party with your sin. In other words, what it does show is that you have not yet made a decision. You're you're a two-souled man. You're double-minded in all your ways. And I said, as soon as you make a concrete decision that I'm going to serve God, the peace and the joy is going to come back in your life. But you're you're saved. You're born again. But the problem is you're trying to invite the devil and the Holy Spirit to the same party. It ain't going to work. Holy Spirit and the devil going to the same party, folks, ain't going to work in your life. You will be a miserable, miserable creature. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Oh, you're saved because here's a sign that you know you're not saved. Is that you can go out and sin all day long and there's no ping. There's no Holy Spirit conscious. There's no conviction. You can sin and you can enjoy it. That's a sign you're not saved. That is a sign. But when there is conviction, you're miserable. Oh, I, just can't, I don't want to go to church. I can't go to church. I'm a hypocrite. No, no, that's a sign the Holy Spirit is really in you. But the problem is you're battling, you're fighting the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just waiting for that big little three-letter word called, Yes, Lord, I surrender all. When that happens, He comes, He comes, cleanses, washes. He comes and He begins to fill your life with hope again. and The environment begins to change. How many of you for a peaceful, wholesome, healthy life and environment in your home? Amen? Yeah. Environment is everything. Let me tell you, I've seen Christians not come to church because the environment is toxic in their own. I remember that even with my wife and I. Some of you, this may be shocking. But there's times when my wife and I have had arguments before church on Sunday morning. But we came anyway. But there were times, I remember one time I told my wife, I had a big argument. I said, Carol, you are going to preach today. She says, I'm not preaching. <laughs> I said, because I, I, I didn't feel worthy. Well, the Holy Spirit said, Ray, just all you have to do is make it right. Humble yourself. Go to her say you're wrong. And we can change this whole environment in one second flat. But guess what? I wasn't going to do it because my pride was at stake. And I'll tell you, I, I even hate to say, there's, there's been times I've even come behind this pulpit and I hadn't made it right with my wife and I knew the anointing was off me, it left, it flew away because of pride. Some of you, I pray you don't leave the church for that, but I'm just being downright honest. I want you to understand that even if you fall off the horse, you can get back on the horse. You can get up again, Amen. Here in this passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 1, notice what it says. Here is a little bit of a problem. The tax collectors, verse 1, and the sinners drew near to, drew near to him. Everyone say, drew near. Sinners drew near. We're talking about building this morning a kingdom of God environment. Building a safe zone in my relationship. Sinners drew near to him to hear him. And here's the reason why. Verse 2. And Pharisees scribes and complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Everyone say, "Receives." receives. Now I want you to say the next word. Feeds. And when Jesus was eating with them, do you know what He was actually doing? He was feeding their spirit. As He was eating with them, He was feeding their soul. He was feeding the emptiness, the hunger, the thirst. There was something that He was nurturing and feeding. But the reason why they drew near... He carried an environment. He carried an atmosphere where people were drawn near because He received and He was a feeder. How many of you want people to draw near you? Well, we better pray for this church real quick here, are All of you. Let me, let me make a statement here. Healthy people Pull people, draw people. Broken people, hurting people, religious people, push people away. You're either drawing people or you're pushing them away. Healthy people have an atmosphere, an environment where people are drawn to because there's something in you that makes them thirsty. I got to be around them. I got to be around Dwight. Lives it. Something about Dwight. I, I, just, I, I got. I got to be around Nathan. Some, something about Nathan and Nehem, I. I don't know. I just Nehem, I can't shake what he is. Every time I'm around Niam, it just just draws me. Just just so, something good's coming out of my life every time I'm around that. I, I got. I got to be around Tony and Joanne. Lovey. There's just something about that couple that just common sense, love of God, just faith in you just, just, just got to be around them let's, let's go out with them again by the way we went out with them had a great time with them. we like to be out with Tony and John just, just being around people like I like to be around Becky Foster amen just a mighty woman of God there's, there's something about her life that just brings the best out in my life Randy Karen Kinnear there's, there's something about them that it just, it just put me at rest make me feel at home They just draw me. They they, they just draw. There's something drawing me. Because they answer a hunger and a thirst. There's something in their life that they carry that answers a need and a cry in my heart. I've got to be around that. They tend to to bring the best out in my life. They they tend to help me see where I need to be going. I, I like to be around people. The Bible says that sinners... And publicans drew near to Jesus because he, everyone say it, received them and he fed them. The idea of eating wasn't just sitting there feeding his face. He was eating with them because he was feeding. He was feeding their faith. He was feeding their empty, broken hearts. He was feeding them and he was saying, I believe in you. I see your life growing and expanding. I I see you beyond the brokenness and the emptiness and the shallowness of your life. I see you coming into a place of increase in faith and power. I see you becoming a son and a daughter instead of a slave. I see I see fruit. I see something. How many of you like that? How many think that's important? You see, that's 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 what the kind of environment that God has given to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the divine infilling of the very presence, the life of God dwelling in your life. And do you know that the Holy Spirit right now is just bursting to get outside of you? But the only way, what what restricts and what limits the baptism or, or the life of the Spirit from flowing out of us is our own minds, our own limitations, fear of man, our own brokenness, our own insecurity actually can shut the Holy Spirit down. All of a sudden, instead of drawing people, we push people away. I've had, I remember one time, no kidding, I, I don't I had a father come in several years ago and said, Pastor Ray, I I need some help. I got a son in my house, a son and a daughter. They're just rebellious. They're just
1: rebellious.
0: And so I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to talk to him. I "I, I need you. He he basically asked me to see him to do his job, which I'm not going to do that. But he asked me to see him. So I, I invited the kids in. And they were teenagers, and, uh, and I said, uh, let's just talk. And first of all, the kid had a hardened heart, all locked up, blocked up, stopped up. And for about two hours, didn't say a word, wasn't going to say a word. And I said, well, why don't we just talk about things that you're interested in? So I said, what, what are some of your hobbies? I mean, we, you know, I, I, I would have loved to get to the real spiritual root, but sometimes when you're working with people that are broken and hurt, you you have to, you have to reach them. Amen? You've you got to know how to reach people. And I, I remember just sitting down, especially with a young man, and, and finally the young man began to open up, and he says, You know, in my house, my dad's always right. He's always right, and I'm always wrong. He's always right, and we're all, we're all wrong. He's right. He, we're wrong. And I said, "Well, t- tell me about that. Well, we can't, we can't talk without us being shut down. If I say anything in fact, I remember the first time this family came to the church. He came up to me and introduced him. They said they wanted to come to New life at that time, this is several years ago. And I remember talking to the gentleman, <clears throat> and uh, I noticed his teenage son and daughter behind him. And I said, are these your kids? He says, oh, yeah, they're my, they're my kids. But you know those teenagers, you know, those teenagers. And I said, what do you mean those teenagers? I said, these teenagers are awesome kids. Oh, well, I'll tell you, Pastor Ram. You
1: know teenagers,
0: what they do, they give you headaches. After a while, I said, no, no, no. And, and what I saw was a father embarrass his kids in front of me. Uh, here's a dad who was so insecure trying to impress me by putting his kids down. And by the way, that's what hurting people do. They have to put other people down to make them look good because they're so little on the inside. And I said, you know what, I think your son and daughter, I think they're awesome kids. I didn't know them, but I said, you know, they're awesome. And I said, our kids is exactly what we make them to be. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I've got a lot of quiet quiet people out here. and uh, and But... From that conversation, they'd come into the church for a while, and all of a sudden, I brought the son and the daughter in, in my office. Finally, they begin to open up. You know, it's, our home is all about being right. And I begin to realize that being right is important. We need to pursue truth. But if being right and fighting to be right without love, you are totally wrong. How many of you know you can be so right, you can be wrong? I remember bringing that father back in my office and I said, I said, you know, I, I, I congratulate you with the desire to pursue truth. But I said, I don't even need to take you to First Corinthians 13 where Paul says, though I have all knowledge and I'm all right. And I have gifts and I can move mountains, faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, what does the Bible say? I'm nothing. So being right is not always right. Now, I believe in being right. Don't, don't, don't anybody leave? Oh, Pastor Ray doesn't think we should have absolutes and bounds. Oh, I'm all for absolutes and boundaries. But if we don't operate with the right spirit, and we use our authority in the wrong way, guess what? We create a toxic environment where we actually push our kids away. Oh, you're right! You're right, and you are in charge. But if there is no love, if there is no positive grace flowing from your life, you know, let me take you to another scripture. John chapter 8. Here, John chapter 8. We're going to look at, in a few minutes, and I'm going to give you some things and close here. John chapter 8. This very familiar passage of Scripture. This is, a relate, this is a religious, toxic environment here. But in this passage, Jesus changes the environment. You all know the story. He's in church. He's in a synagogue. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives in the early morning. He came into the temple. And all the people came to Him and He sat down and He taught them. So He's in church. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Notice what a legalist does. A legalist is interested in catching people doing the wrong thing. They focus on what people do wrong. And they love to expose them. I caught you! And boy, am I going to tell mom and dad when they come home. That's a legalist. I can't wait. Well, pastor, are you suggesting that we cover sin and forget it? No. But notice what the Pharisees do. They they catch them in the act and they set them in the midst and they make an example out of them. In other words, people are an object. They're not anything to be valued. And then they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us. Here's the law. Said, such should be stoned. What do you say? And they said this testing him that they might have something to which to accuse him. Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger. I love this little part. As though he did not hear. Now, by the way, folks, let's, let's make, I want you to know Jesus was hearing. He heard really clear. And how many of you know that Jesus does hate sin? Do you know that Jesus just didn't die on the cross to forgive you? Jesus died not only to atone for sin, but to destroy the power of sin and the curse of sin over our life. Jesus hates sin. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ needs to rise with a new awakening for a hatred for sin. But we need to know how to separate the sin from the sinner. We need to know how to apply the grace of God Because it's not about fighting for what is right. But we need to learn how to fight, how to reach the sinner rather than fighting to be right. Amen. Everyone say fight to reach. reach. Jesus fought to reach her rather than fight to kill her. Because I got to be right. I want to show you you're wrong. I, I hate to tell you, but I grew up in that environment. In fact, my preaching used to be with that environment. I wanted to let everybody know, 10 steps to know how wrong you are as a father. He used to preach like that. Death. Death. Now I'd rather preach in a way where people come to understand that because of His goodness, His grace, which leads us to repentance, I come to find that when we lead people to Jesus, Jesus changes their behavior. But when I try to change behavior apart from the grace of God, I actually drive and push people away. Here we have a death environment. The Bible is being used to expose sin so that we might show everybody else. Cuz this is what the Let me tell you the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who masked themselves behind their religion and their knowledge. These were scholars and doctors of the law. They knew the Bible. But they masked their pain and their own insecurity and their own sinfulness behind their religion, behind their religious atmosphere. And the Bible says they were jealous and envious of Jesus and they plotted to kill him. But here Jesus, in this scenario... The Bible says when he hears of these allegations, he almost removes himself, stoops to the ground, and pays no attention. By the way, that should say something to you the next time the devil comes and says, you're not worthy. The next time you hear the devil bring facts against you, you need to realize that Jesus does not hear the accusations of Satan against your life. Do You know why? Because Jesus has already washed you from your sins. He's already cleansed you and washed you from all your uncleanness and your unrighteousness. So when they continued asking, verse 7, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin, let him throw the stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out, One by one, beginning from the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. I think it's interesting that he's left alone. He doesn't leave her. He's with her. Everyone say with. Jesus is with her. Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman and said, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Everyone say no more. See, this right here tells us that Jesus was interested in the fact that she would not allow sin to be a part of her life. But here's Jesus understood something that's so important for all of us to catch. In order for us to see the atmosphere transform in our life, We need to start focusing on the need rather than the fault. Everyone say need. I need to start focusing on the need of the person rather than the fault. I think it's so important that I need to learn. If I'm going to change the atmosphere in my home, I need to learn to listen with my ears and my heart and not be so quick to have all the answers. To help people change, you know, I, I got to share something as a pastor. Sometimes I've been in counseling sessions where I don't say a word. People will leave and say, "Well, Pastor, you really helped me." And I'll look at them. I'll say, "I didn't say a word to you." Sometimes people just want to come in and just use you as a sounding board. You don't. E- you don't even have a thing to say back, or maybe there's nothing to say. But just the fact that you give people time means a lot to them. By the way, do you know that's important? Giving people time. I took that father back from the, that two teenagers, and I said, can I, can I suggest to you, because I, I know you want truth, and I know you thrive on being right and winning the arguments in your home, but may I suggest that you allow people, now listen to me, be careful here, I want you to allow people to fail. I want, you, I want you to understand the importance of giving people room to grow while they're growing. It's not just always correcting and shaping them up and putting them right when they get out of line. But it's, sometimes it's showing the grace and the mercy of God and it's through that mercy and grace that builds an environment and a desire for people to change. They have to see that there's hope beyond failure. And in our homes today, one of the most toxic places to be, it's sad to say, even Jesus said that the, the man's own enemies will be of his own house. Do you know why? Do you know why relationships, the closest, our closest relationships become so toxic? is because we've not experienced a lot of grace what people end up doing is we tend to identify and elevate the fault. And we don't know how to develop a safe environment. Now, I believe that Jesus was interested in healing this woman from her sin. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe Jesus does not want us to die in our sin? But he understands that the only way I've got to focus on the need, and thirdly, I need to create an atmosphere where people understand that I truly, genuinely care about them. This woman placed value on her rather than focusing on the fault or the wrong behavior. Remember when I had those two teenagers in my office, I said, I want to tell you something. I think you young people, you young you kids, you have such potential. And I said, I am so, my wife and I, we just, constantly put praise on them, constantly was affirming them. You know, they really enjoyed coming to church. They really did. It was difficult to get that father to change his mindset because he had never himself had any kind of affirmation, no kind of support system in his life. What happens is when you become a fault finder and when your environment is always toxic, what it does is it forces you into isolation, and you end up becoming a loner. No one wants to be around you. You become isolated, and then sometimes I've even heard some people say, well, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that don't like the truth, and too bad. At least I love the truth. Well, praise God, you're a little island all by yourself, loving the truth, killing everybody all the way to heaven, but that's not the way God intended it to be. God is interested, I, I want to make it clear, God is interested in people living without sin. Jesus wouldn't have said, go and sin no more if he wasn't interested. He didn't say, go, I'll tell you what, I know you've had a bad life, you've been a broken woman, you're an adulterous. I know there's a lot of sin, a lot of condemnation. I'll tell you what, go and sin just a little bit, I'll give you six months grace and that's fine. I'll tell you what, sin some more, but not all the time. Keep it off the weekends. Okay, come to church. Jesus didn't do it that way. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Everyone say no more. more. In other words, what he was saying is this. I believe that you're going to make it. I know that you're bigger than this. I have such faith in you because of the grace I have now imparted to you. Can you imagine what we could do and how we can change the environment we can create a safe zone in our homes, and our relationships, when we are around people that believe in us. Now, to create a safe zone, I want you to write some things down. Number one, we need leadership. We need someone to set an example. A safe zone. My home needs to be a safe zone. Everyone say safe zone. A safe zone doesn't mean that it's a zone where I just tolerate sin. No, no. We have We have... A goal, and we have a declared and written, we have a mission and a vision. We know where we're going, and it's so important. Fathers, mothers, listen. We need to let our kids know that as for me and my house, we're going to be a Christian home. We're going to serve God. And this home is going to have peace and joy and righteousness and we're going to have lots of fun and Jesus is going to be the most exciting. I tell you what, I, I don't see anything more exciting than having the supernatural power and manifestation and the miracles and the blessing of God happening in your life. But it starts with leadership. Dad and mom, I'll tell you, it's great to talk about your job, talk about sports, talk about the Cowboys and the Mavericks and Stars. It's great to talk about politics. Great. But if you never talk about the great things that God is doing, your kids are never going to know. But my parents really think God is cool. Everyone say, God is cool. I know that's old lingo. But your kids need to hear you say, my God is really awesome. He's good. He's great. I'm going to change the atmosphere in my home because I'm lifting Jesus up. I find that my kids will get excited about what I'm excited about. They will. But they've got to see it in your attitude. The second thing that's important is we all need a revelation of the Father. Jesus was the... Do you know what Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground, stood up and said... He was without sin. Do you know why Jesus did that? Because he saw the Father do that. John 5 says, Jesus said, I do not do anything but what I see the Father do. What Jesus did was what he saw the Father do. He saw the Father extend mercy to this adulterous woman. The third thing in a developing a safe environment is we do not major on the minors, but we major on Solutions. We major on the things that help people come and see their potential. It's so easy to say, I caught you. And you know what? You have disobeyed me so many times. And you use words like this. You always disobey. You never listen to what I say. You are always stupid. You never obey. Those phrases and words are destruction. We need to start saying this. You know what? I know you are so capable of better than this. I am praying for you. Hey, let me take you aside. Let, let, let's just talk about what's going on. Is there some things going on in your life? Tell me what's going on in your heart. Just, just, I, just, I, just, I just want to hear you out. I just want to know what's going on in your life. I'll never forget. One time I was having a battle with my wife. And I remember going to Brother Dick, my pastor. And I really thought Pastor Iverson was going to be on my side. He was not on my side. And you know what he did? He kind of laughed. He said that this one time. He said, Ray, you need more strawberries. I don't want to get into that story. Some of you already heard it. But what he did he says, Ray, let's just talk about what's going on in you. How you doing? And I started opening up, and I was working for my dad. And working for my dad at the time was really tough, so I had a lot of pressure and stress from my dad. And I was bringing a lot of stress from pressure from my job at home. And I was battling with my life. I didn't know it, but I was taking a lot of the grief that I was coming from my job. And I was bringing it home and putting it on my wife. And I was developing this toxic atmosphere. My wife began to live like she was walking on pins and needles. I don't want to say anything, do anything, because Ray will explode. I know that's the way I was, guys. Don't all leave the church, by the way. I've changed, praise God. But I remember there were days where she was afraid of me. And I didn't know she was afraid of me. But she was afraid of me. And I said, that's not a good thing. How many of you know it's not good for your kids to be afraid of your wife to be... That's not good. Because if you're really walking in the love of God, people... Draw near to you. They should be able... Jesus was so approachable that the most fragile, the most delicate, the most most sensitive people on the earth, and you know who they are? Children. Children loved to get around Jesus. It was the disciples who told the children, get away from Jesus. We got more important, bigger things to do than for us to hang around children. And Jesus said, wait a minute. He brought the child who sets him on the knees as for such is the kingdom of heaven. He says, unless you become like this child, none of you will enter into the kingdom. Jesus had such a connection with children that they felt safe in his presence. I want to ask you this. How do we develop that kind of an environment? How do we develop an environment? How do we develop the kind of atmosphere where people are drawn to us. First of all, they, there, there needs to be love in the home. Third, fourthly, we, we need to exercise the love and the patience. And there needs to be a tolerance. Now, I'm all for being hard on sin. I really am. Sin will destroy you, the consequences of sin will take you to hell. It will. But if we're, if we're interested in healing and restoring people, we need to live in an environment where we, uh, we understand, we, we need to press the importance of developing a safeguard, safety, where people are free to fail. I'm not talking about just open rebellion, but they're free to fail and yet know they're going to be encouraged to get up again. They need to know that. They need to hear you say that. I want you to write this word down, vulnerability. Everyone say vulnerability. Vulnerability. Leaders need to be vulnerable. When I was a young father, I learned that I was making lots of mistakes as a young dad making bad judgment, I had a temper, just a lot of things. And I began to feel like I was losing my sons. And I remember talking to Pastor Iris, and he says, Ray, you need to be vulnerable. I said, what do you mean, vulnerable? You need to go to your sons, and you need to say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And I remember when I would tell my sons that, their eyes would get big. Man, Daddy said he was wrong. I want everybody to say this with me. I am wrong. wrong. Please forgive me. me. Now let's all say this. I forgive forgive you. you. I love you. Those things should be in our home all the time. I was wrong. When I do wrong, I was wrong please forgive me and mean it. And then we need to follow up and say to the person who offended us, I forgive you and I love you. How many of you believe words need to be heard? Don't just as, well, pastor, they know what I'm at. No, they don't. They need to hear you say, I was wrong. I blew it, I dropped the ball, please forgive me. And then the follow-up. I forgive you. I love you. I want to create an environment where that in that safe environment, there is also, in that environment, there is a freedom. Everyone say freedom. freedom. Freedom is not free. Freedom comes with responsibility. I want my kids... I remember the same father. This father came to me one time. Not the, that father, a different situation. Actually, it was a father and a mother. They came and said, "You know, I don't understand. My, their kids are going through something and they won't talk to us. They won't open up and talk to us. I actually had a wife say that. I remember one time, my wife and I counseled a situation where a woman had a shopping problem. She went out and charged up $40,000 of uh, uh, shopping on her credit card and she comes to us and says, how do I tell my husband?" She charged up over $40,000. And I said, what do you got to show for it? She says, I gave it all away. She says, I'm a shopaholic. I just got to shop because I'm bored. I'm a housewife. I'm bored at home. I don't know what to do. I said, well, we've got to tell your husband. And this is what she said. I'm afraid to. Because everything I do, I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. So I said, he never affirms. He never. Ta- no, I, I, I never can do anything right. I needed some kind of an outlet. I said, well, that doesn't justify going out, taking a credit card, shopping, and, and, and putting it to the hill. I said, now you're, you're really in the doghouse here, but, but we've got to claim some responsibility. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a meeting, and we did. And she told her husband. Now, thank God I was there because he held us cool. But it was tough. <laughs> Couldn't figure out why. But that wasn't the root problem. The root problem wasn't shopping. The root problem was a communication breakdown. The root problem, and not to justify these actions, but they're part of the problem because of the lack of communication, the lack of nurturing, the lack of receiving and affirming and affection, and the lack of really watering my garden, the lack of really understanding and taking time and putting time into the relationship and being patient. What happened was... As two people do, they're going down the same path, but they begin to drift apart because communication falls. There's no affirmation. There's no affection. There's no understanding. There's no forgiveness. All we do is we isolate, we insulate, we identify the problem, we accuse, and we use words like always and never. You'll never change. I knew you'd always do that. And we just go farther apart, which really inevitably sets us up for an outside affair. That's why you have people having affairs today. They're looking for friends. Do you know why people have an affair? Because they lost friendship in their marriage. My wife is my best friend. That is intimacy. She is still my best friend. She's not my, just my lover. She doesn't just pay the bills. She's not just a mother of my She's my best friend. We still hold hands after 36 years. Praise God. Still love hold hands. My toes still curl in my shoes when I hold her hands. Praise God. A lot of good affection. That's healthy. I want the atmosphere to be growing. I want it to be healthy. Amen? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> freedom. Freedom. My last point here is on freedom. Freedom means that you're you're free to share what's on your heart. Freedom means that you're free to open up and I'm not going to bark down. I'm not going to shut you down. You are free to share things that you don't like about me because I love you. You are free to share. I want freedom in this relationship. I want my kids to have freedom to say, Dad, it, it bothers me that you do this. That needs to happen. Because let me tell you, if your kids can't come to you They're going to go to their buddies in the streets. I want my kids to come to me. I want my wife to come to me. But with freedom comes responsibility. Because how many of you know that in a free relationship, there needs to be responsibility? And with freedom, the relationship needs to also, we need to also let people know that it's a sacred holy ground. You are free to express yourself. You are free to share your feelings and concerns about me. But you are not free to disrespect and dishonor us with your bad attitude. You are not free to dishonor us with having a prevailing bad attitude where you punish us with your silence. There's people today when they don't like you, you know what they do? Just avoid you. Just stay away from you. It's a form of punishment. That's not nice. We should never shut down. The goal of every believer is what Jesus said. When you have odd against each other, what do you do? You go quickly and you resolve it. In fact, I've heard Christians say this, Well, Pastor, I'll tell you, I'm just praying about it. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere did Jesus say to pray about a problem because of a breakdown. Nowhere. He says you go, and he actually used this adjective, go quickly. Everyone say quickly. Some of you may say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? You're just throwing wood on the fire. I don't want to go quickly because I'm afraid what will happen. Well, you may have to take a third party then. In fact, the Bible says don't let the sun go down in your wrath. That means don't go to bed angry. That means that before the night comes, you need to be dealing with that problem. Amen. I know I've said a lot this morning, but we're talking about developing and embracing a healthy, safe atmosphere and changing and empowering kingdom of God environment in our life. Amen. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. I know I covered a lot this morning. The Bible says in 1st Peter I got I got I forgot one very important scripture last scripture then we'll pray one last scripture 1st Peter chapter 3 It says this says this Finally 1st Peter 3, eight. All of you be of one mind having compassion for one another love as brothers and sisters be tender hearted courteous not rendering evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary blessing knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see good day how many of you want to see good days out there he who would love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil Let his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. One of the goals in our life, Carol and I, we have made a commitment to not fight to be right, but we have made a commitment to fight. reach people I want to reach you it's not about being right it's about reaching you and understanding you and helping build a bridge to see Jesus because it's Jesus that changes you it's he that heals you, can you say amen Amen. bow your heads maybe this morning you may say Pastor Ray I'm living in an atmosphere that's toxic I know the Lord wants to do some healing in my marriage, my relationships. We need some family power. Our walls have been broken down and the thistles and the thorns have overgrown. And I just need the Lord to do a fresh work in our life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Put it down. Amen. Anyone? I see your hand. Put it down. Anyone else? Pastor, I just need the Lord to do a, a fresh work in my, my home, my family. Okay. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we, this morning? I know as a small church, it's not easy to preach a message like this. But it's important because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, is a message of reality. It's a message where it affects our lifestyle. You are the light of the world. You draw people. I want everyone to say that. I draw people. I draw them. You draw them, because you have Christ in you. Amen. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus, our example. Lord, we look to you today in a nation where absolutes and values are being thrown out the window, where relationships are like a, the flip of a to- coin. Father, we ask you today, Lord, that you would bring the atmosphere of glory, the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit and peace back in our homes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a vision of glory, a vision of victory. Lord, help us that we can see and bring change and we can bring a difference and make an impact as parents, as husbands, as spouses, as, as employers, employees in our workplace, in our schools and in our community. Father, as we've taught this morning to equip your people for the work of the ministry, I pray that this seed will not fall in deaf ears. I pray, Lord, that it will bear forth a harvest 160 and 30 fold. Lord, be with us as families. Be with us as a church. Lord, help us to be history makers. We give you praise. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless. Give someone a hug in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.